Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Outkick 360 is back live from the 6th and Peabody studios with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, downtown Nashville, alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Koharski will check in from Titans practice. That's coming up in about an hour where there are plenty, plenty of headlines right here in Nashville around the NFL and the COVID-19 policies. Uh, Ryan Tannehill on the COVID-19 reserve list. He's a vaccinated player, which means he tested positive for COVID-19. Like Mike Vrabel, he can test out within a 48-hour period. We'll get into details of that and everything else going on across the league today. Bobby Carpenter, uh, former first-round pick for the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, uh, strong player for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, He's now an outkick contributor for college football. He'll join us in 15 minutes. We'll talk about the College Football Alliance between uh, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC. And uh, a little bit later this hour, hit some other headlines across the sports world. But we'll start with the NFL. Chad, good morning. Two-man show today. Yep. Paul will join us uh, a little bit later, I believe. Paul uh, Hutton, you look outstanding. This Outkick shirt that you're wearing today, yep. this is like a mystery item on the website that you have uncovered. <laughs> this is like the equivalent of a Nintendo cheat code that you've somehow unlocked I don't know how you I did received it. this shirt. I don't know how it's I did It's a great-looking polo shirt. So shout-out to the Thursday Night Mowing League. Um, I, Joe Kinsey. Joe Kinsey. I, I ordered a shirt for Lance Lee, uh, who, who gets it done for us. And I ordered an extra uh, – I had a large black Outkick polo. Uh, it's a little smaller now than what it was whenever I got it. So I ordered a, an extra large and ended up getting the gray version instead of the black version, which is not even available on the site. So thank you, Max, and thank you to everybody uh, with the Outkick shop for the mystery item. I alerted Chad to this last night. I said, hey, by the way, there's a, there's a new item, new shirt if you want it. It's and a, you immediately purchased it. I immediately did something to get it. I'm not going <laughs> to reveal whether or not I purchased it, but I made things happen. I rolled the dice out there and, and got the shirt uh, one way or the other, whether I paid for it or not. I will have that shirt. I will have that, I will have to it. quote one of our uh, favorite movies. It's a great-looking shirt, Hutton. Um, I like the setup here, with the, the two-person setup today. I feel like I've got a little breathing room. Well, Normally, we're right on top of each other, and right now, there's yeah. a little bit more breathing room. I can even like reach out and not grab you, full extent of the arm right <laughs> Which now. Which I'm disappointed Full in. extension. <laughs> but other than that, it's, it's going to be a big show. Bobby Carpenter is going to join us. Excited about that. Excited about him joining OutKick and bringing his content, a very successful sports talk radio host in Columbus, Ohio, knows his college football, so looking forward to that. It's going to be a big show, and we've got big news right out of the gates. So Tannehill on the COVID-19 reserve list, and there's some news in Buffalo as well with everything that's going on with COVID-19 protocols for the National Football League. 
protocols that were put in place, quite honestly, uh, to get players vaccinated. But now the vaccinated are testing positive for COVID-19 and the variant, and they're missing time. And we've seen a, an outbreak to some extent right here in Nashville. Jeff Swaim, Justin March Lillard, Harold Landry now on the COVID-19 list, Ryan Tannehill, uh, the big name that will make the national headlines along with Mike Vrabel. He, Vrabel and Tannehill are both vaccinated. They need two negative tests within a 48-hour period to return to the building. Um, there's a mandatory uh, time frame that an unvaccinated player would have to miss. Um, reading through some of the reports, Schefter is saying there are at least three players that are dealing with a positive COVID-19 result, not necessarily uh, just close contacts related to Mike Vrabel. So there are at least three players and two coaches, one of those being Vrabel within uh, the, the, the Titans organization. Elsewhere, Chad, we're seeing um, the Buffalo Bills and uh, a number of other players across the league get fined for not wearing masks indoors at the facilities. Tom Pelissero tweeted out that the NFL has sent written warnings to roughly 120 players league-wide and fined 25 players for refusal to wear a mask or the tracking device since the start of training camp. All were fined $14,650. One of them, and Lance has this, is Isaiah McKenzie, who tweeted out uh, his fine, and then Cole Beasley retweeted it with his own story of how he was fined and how he was sent home as well. So the below tweet is Isaiah McKenzie in Buffalo saying they got me at NFL, you win. It's the roughly $15,000 fine for being in the facility without wearing his mask because he's unvaccinated. Cole Beasley has been very outspoken on this, retweeted and said, don't worry, they got me too, but I was wearing a mask when I was in close contact with fully vaxxed trainer who tested positive, still got sent home. So what's the point of the mask anyway? Meanwhile, I'm here testing negative and still can't come back to the facility. Make it make sense. Now, Beasley was fined because he didn't have his mask on when he walked from the parking lot into the building and into the locker room, which is not that far of a walk. But once he's in the facility, because he's unvaccinated, he must be masked at all times. He was not. He's a part of this fine. And because he was in close contact with the fully vaccinated uh, trainer, in this case, according to what Beasley's saying, he was sent home in quarantine. And because he's unvaccinated, he can't come back into the facility, even though he's tested negative. So he's tweeting this out. Players are confused. Vaccinated players for the Tennessee Titans. Tannehill was outspoken on this. He said he only got vaccinated because it made his life easier. Said he did it for his teammates because he wanted to make his life easier within the facility. Now he's in quarantine. He's sent home for at least uh, a 48-hour period until he tests negative. And we know he tested positive because if he were a close contact as a fully vaccinated player, and that's all it was, then there, he would still be at the facility. Because he tested positive, that's why he's not a facility currently. It's a maximum of 10 days. He can return sooner than that if uh, he tests negative within a 48-hour period twice. Lance, if you would, please put that tweet back on the screen uh, from Cole Beasley that we just saw. Because I'm going to channel a little bit of Matthew McConaughey as Jake Brigance in A Time to Kill. Okay. When I say this, I want everyone, as Jake Brigance said, to close your eyes before he gave the closing statement. I want everyone to understand this story, to take it in, and to close your minds on it. 
close your mind around your political leaning, preconceived notion about Cole Beasley, what he is, who he voted for, whatever problem you have or whatever love you have for Cole Beasley. And I want you to read this situation. And it ends with him saying, make it make sense. Be rational about this. Be logical about this. None of this makes any sense. None of it. If you are going to make a national push to get vaccinated, and the league is going to go all in on getting vaccinated, which I'm not opposed to. I have said it before. I'll say it again. I'm not afraid to say it. I am vaccinated. Same here. I'm pro-vaccination. I think you should get vaccinated. I believe in personal liberties also. I understand some people have legitimate reasons, medical reasons to not get vaccinated. But here's the thing. If you're going to punish those who are not vaccinated, and this is going to be your thing the whole season, but now you're also going to punish those who are vaccinated with the Ryan Tannehill situation, with Mike Vrabel. Go read Armando Salguero at OutKick in his column about this. And again, I want everyone to remove preconceived notions away from it and try to be logical about it. Nothing about the NFL's policy right now makes any sense. They are creating problems for themselves that should not exist. Cole Beasley is not scared of COVID-19. Cole Beasley is not worried about what it's going to do to him. Cole Beasley is upset about the current protocols for unvaccinated players and is pointing to the fact that it is hurting now both vaccinated and unvaccinated. So my simple question and response is, what is the point? If you were Ryan Tannehill and you went and got vaccinated to help your team because you weren't going to in the first place, but you wanted to do it to improve your chances with protocols, and you still test positive, and you're missing valuable practice time because of that, what's the point? A year ago, with no vaccine, it took until week three to have our first problem with COVID-19. Now with what, 90, 95%, 85%, I don't know what the exact number is, Hutton, but whatever that percentage is of the league that is fully vaccinated, we are seeing more widespread problems because of the protocols with the NFL. I sent this out yesterday and said, this is a mess. It's going to be a mess all season until they change it. And someone said, well, what the real mess is, is all the hospitalizations that are going to occur with NFL players and coaches. So I simply asked this person, point to me all the hospitalizations with NFL players and coaches. Please show me the data. If you're going to say, stop being a doctor, you're not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. But I do host a sports show and we talk about NFL policy. Show me all of these hospitalizations that are everywhere. I've got a fly in my face right now that's probably going to spread more disease than Ryan Tannehill will (laughs) with his positive COVID test, even though he's vaccinated. But if you, you can't show me that because it doesn't exist. And then I'm having a conversation. This kind of goes back to my initial statement, Hutton, about take your blinders off one way or the other. Because by the end of this conversation, I think this guy is anti-vax. And he was telling me about all the hospitalizations that are going to occur because people got vaccinated and they're going to end up in the hospital. So what I thought was one argument on one side ended up being an argument on the opposite side. This is the insanity that we're dealing with right now. But this is clear cut. And I'll echo what we've said throughout, Hutton, you and I have said. I'll echo what's in Armando Salguero's piece at OutKick. Don't test the vaccinated. That should be part of the protocol. If you do exactly what the NFL wants you to do and what America is screaming at you to do and get vaccinated, you shouldn't be tested. 
We should not be reading stories about Mike Vrabel and Ryan Tannehill. Well, Vrabel had symptoms. That's being, why he got tested. He COVID. chose to get tested. Ryan Tannehill has no symptoms, right? Uh, no. He said he's fine. He's okay. He's fine. Now, put up the uh, Lance, put up the Tom Pelissero uh, tweet as I try to kill this fly that's flying around us currently in the studio. Uh, Tom Pelissero, here's, here's why you're seeing all the news come out of Nashville. I told everyone with the Titans, I'm told everyone with the Titans, vaccinated or not, has been getting tested in recent days in light of COVID cases, including Coach Mike Vrabel. The team worked virtually Wednesday and hoped to be back to normal today. Now quarterback Ryan Tannehill joins the list, a quote, cluster, uh, end quote. Uh, was there an F word after that? Possibly, uh, because that's what this has created. And you know, the, the, let's tie in Cam Newton and the story. Bill Belichick stood with the media and said that Cam Newton, in fact, did not break team policy with what he did in New England that forced him to miss five days of work with the team. Belichick said that to the media. He said that, uh, and keep in mind too, Cam Newton was tested for COVID-19. He was not tested at the team facility. And Cam Newton did not test positive for COVID-19. He was told to stay away despite testing negative for COVID-19 as an unvaccinated player because he didn't do it at the team facility. And he still has not tested positive. He's back to work today with New England, but he missed five days. The protocols were in place, Chad, to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated because the unvaccinated were the ones that were going to test positive. The vaccinated players would have uh, leniency on rules. The restrictions would be uh, much less restrictive as, as a vaccinated player versus an unvaccinated player. That continues to be the case for the majority of teams around the league, not in Tennessee, where everyone is masked. Um, they are all wearing the, the contact tracing trackers. That's, that's the case anyway. Uh, but this is a story that is just beginning. We're not seeing the end of this, and we're going to see this affect more and more teams as this progresses until the NFL figures out a way to combat their policy in the way it's structured currently with what's happening with the vaccinated players who are tested every 14 days, I believe. It's not every day. If you're unvaccinated, you're tested every day. It's no different than what they did last year. Well, we've got uh, someone in the YouTube chat saying, you know, it's for publicity. It's part of the NFL having publicity around getting vaccinated. I mean, screw publicity. Do what's right for your league. Do what makes sense for everyone. Vaccinated, unvaccinated. I mean, clearly, you want everyone to get vaccinated, just like medical professionals across the country are preaching to get vaccinated. The league has taken that stance. They're making it extremely difficult on the unvaccinated. Well, but when you test the vaccinated and someone says, well, you got to protect the unvaccinated too. The NFL doesn't care about protecting the unvaccinated. And let me let you into the insight of Cole Beasley and others. They don't care about getting it. These are the same people who are going to preach to you. Getting antibodies is going to protect me more than getting the vaccination. Well, they do not care. Let me protect them against what exactly? And I'm going to ask. They don't ask care. Are you, are you protecting them against themselves? I'm going to ask Paul about this. Is that going to be this. the argument now? None of this the, makes sense. You mentioned the antibodies. John Robinson, the Titans general manager, stood in front of the media today. And a lot of the tweets from the local media said Robinson was updating everyone on the percentage of players that were vaccinated. John Robinson mentioned 97, 98% vaccinated or have antibodies. So they're testing for the or antibodies as well within that 97%. We'll ask Paul exactly where this policy comes in on the antibodies that they're testing for, uh, which would include the unvaccinated who have antibodies. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where that is as far as the NFL structure. And look, 
here's what it comes down to. The NFL policy is in place. You can say they're protecting players and staff, and they are. They are protecting themselves with the TV rights and the TV money and the number of games that they're guaranteeing to these networks. They have not built in extra weeks for flexibility this year compared to last year. They're, they're, they threw out the word forfeit for unvaccinated players that would cause the spread of COVID-19 within a team or an organization that would force that, league, that, that team to cancel its game for that week. They're, that's the first time they've used the F word, forfeit. Now we could see vaccinated players cause them to miss games based on the way the policy is structured and the 48-hour period for testing and getting back into the building. That could cause Tannehill, for instance, if this happens during the season, to miss a game. If he tests on positive on Thursday and can't, can't test out uh, until after the weekend. It, it's, it's fascinating to try to dive in and look at the worst case scenario, which based on the policy and how it reads, I'm not sure if they factored this part in as we get towards the start of the regular season. All of that and more coming up with PK. We'll, we'll get the very latest from Nashville and, and dive in more to what's going on around the league in Buffalo and New England and others. Coming up though, Chad, we talk some college football with OutKick's newest college football contributor, Bobby Carpenter. Bobby Carpenter, former first-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys, Ohio State, great, uh, doing a really good job on Sports Talk Radio in Columbus, Ohio, and we're going to talk uh, the alliance, which I'll continue to repeat should be both said and written in all caps. It sounds like every a, time. It sounds like a pro wrestling faction. The, the alliance. alliance, just like the in Bobby Carpenter's alma mater, the Ohio State is capitalized. The alliance will always be capitalized. Bobby Carpenter next on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Outkick 360 rolls on alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody. Our studio's here with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. And pleased to be joined by Outkick's new college football contributor, Bobby Carpenter. Uh, you can hear him on the radio in Columbus with 97.1 The Fan. Uh, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, early riser for Bobby Carpenter. He's used to it, of course, uh, at, at The Ohio State University. First round pick for the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, we're excited to have him join the OutKick Network. Bobby, appreciate the time, and hope you're doing well. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Excited to get on and, you know, uh, starting up college football here this weekend. So finally, after this long wait and everything that went into it last year, this is a, it's a pretty exciting, pretty special time. I know Week Zero doesn't necessarily have the – full abundance of games that you'd like to see but you know there is something there to kind of whet your appetite so uh, we were we've been discussing this at length here in sec country when when the sec added texas and oklahoma it signaled what to you um my goodness how aggressive greg sankey is you know i give him a lot of credit i mean he, he was playing chess when everyone else was playing checkers and you know working with bob bowlsby and you know, they had the clause in their ESPN deal to be able to bring on more teams and essentially in a, a players to be named later, like Major League Baseball style bucket, where if you bring in these elite programs, instead of just dividing your conference revenue by the additional teams, we're just going to bolt that on. And they're so valuable that they're going to be able to add that value you know, to our television package show. He had the foresight with that. You know, Texas and Oklahoma, they were the vast majority of the Big 12's values. So I understand why they did it and what they wanted to do. Um, I guess, it, you know, it signaled, I think, to the rest of the college football is you know, where are we kind of going here? And 
you know, I had conversations with my former coach, Jim Tressel, about this. Goodness, it's been 10 years about how he thought at one point in time within the next 5 to 12, 13 years, you'd basically see like an nfl light model where it'd be, you know, some number of large conferences, maybe it's two, three, four, whatever it might be, and some sort of playoff and their own governing body. And it seemed like that was so far away, uh, but it seems like that's almost imminent right now, whether that happens in the next, you know, three years, five years, or six or seven, that I think we're going to end up seeing that before we roll to the next decade. You can read uh, Bobby Carpenter's uh, recent piece, first piece at outkick.com, five takeaways about the newly formed college football alliance. It's up right now at outkick.com. And I want to get into that alliance, Bobby, and and what exactly it means uh, from the press release, from the press conference yesterday. I mean, they're clearly putting out a united front with the three conferences, but what was your biggest takeaway from what this actually does? Um, what I think the biggest piece of it was, and, and there's a whole lot of network partner you know, situation that's got to be worked out there with the Big, Tw- Big Ten and Pac-12 being Fox entities. You know, Jim uh, Phillips, the new commissioner of the ACC with Big Ten ties, you know, I think he was critical of that be- to get this done because the ACC is with ESPN. So kind of this bidding situation of who's going to really control the future of college football. And ESPN seemed to have that locked in with the you know, apparent extension that was coming. And so I think the three other conferences wanted to just press pause, say, let's, uh, let's agree not to poach anyone really from you know, our own conferences. We'll figure out what we're going to do with the Big 12 as we pick out, you know, pick out that conference and, and figure out what vultures we can kind of you know, swirl around and, and pull out of there. Um, but I think they're looking at this as trying to just slow everything down and not and, and push back largely on the SEC and saying, hey, you know, you guys have your own deal and it's going to be very valuable. Uh, the Big Ten is going to redo their rights deal coming up. It's going to probably surpass, if not even, you know, be equal to the, the SEC at a minimum. But I think it's going to be a voting block to say, here's the new alliance. This will essentially be the new governing body, I believe, of college football. And it'll just be once this new te- once this new college football playoff package and the TV rights and everything expands, it'll probably roll the SEC right in there and then they'll figure out some sort of leadership and governing body and how that's going to be structured. But this kind of seems like that's going to be the framework, but it was formed initially to kind of slow all of that down and to make sure that that didn't happen before everything hit the open market, I believe, in 2025. Let's say that this alliance progresses and they're not united in this desire to not have expansion and add teams right now, and they want to go the route of the SEC. Bobby, you're a Big Ten guy. I'm making you the Big Ten commissioner right now. If expansion is open, who makes sense for the Big Ten? Who would you go after just from a strictly money-grab type scenario of who makes sense and who you would want to uh, bring into the Big Ten? Who are you going after? Well, I mean, I think you'd have to exclude, obviously, anyone in the SEC. If, you, if you're Ohio State, you'd look, well, is there a chance for me to maybe go and, and join somewhere else? You know, Ohio State comprises most of the value in the Big Ten right now with Michigan, with Penn State, you could probably throw Wisconsin, even Nebraska in there, but that's kind of the vast majority of that value. You know, so excluding SEC schools, the thing that muddies it is ACC, they're locked up until 2036, I believe. So it's incredibly financially punitive for them to get out. If you couldn't, I'd look at North Carolina, I'd look at Clemson, I'd potentially look at, you know, Florida State or Louisville. Those would be the four schools I'd look at in the ACC. Now, since that's most likely unrealistic, the Big Ten, they played really the short monetary game when they, they added Rutgers in Maryland. 
They did it to get the East Coast footprint for the TV buy. It helped, but you added two programs that really didn't benefit you in a football sense of being able to elevate your brand and elevate the value. So I would look at this the opposite way now. I'm going to, I would expand into Texas. Number one, it helps your recruiting base. It allows you to have access into that Southwest pipeline. It gives you someone out there with Nebraska who's hanging out by themselves, who needs to have that ability to recruit in the state of Texas and needs that visibility down there. And so the, the couple of schools that I would look at, I'd look at a TCU, I'd look at a Baylor, I'd potentially look at an SMU because we're name, image, and likeness guys. Nobody did name, image, and likeness better than the SMU ponies back in the day. I mean, they, they basically <laughs> owned that in the 80s, and we can all laugh about it, but yeah. Dallas is one of the biggest markets. It's a football-rich market. People care about it. They care about college football. And even though while TCU and SMU aren't the biggest brands, if you start rolling big brands in there to play, there's a lot of people from the Midwest that live in North Dallas and live in there for five years. I have a pretty good feel on that. Like You roll Ohio State, you roll Penn State, you pull Nebraska in there, you pull Michigan, you're going to fill those stadiums up. And you're going to have a large viewing population that cares about that. And so it may not benefit you in the early two to three or four years, but I think it would ultimately help in recruiting, the product, and it ultimately the TV markets and the interest in your conference. Bobby Carpenter with us from Outkick.com and, of course, a radio host uh, with a Morning Juice in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, former Buckeye, a Buckeye, I shouldn't say former. Um, with that in mind, hypothetically here, if – if Ohio State wanted to join up and, and create one massive super conference with what the SEC is doing, or any conference together, do you foresee Ohio State and Michigan pairing up the same way Texas and Oklahoma just did? It's a great question. You know, Texas and Michigan have kind of been in the same struggle here for about the last decade. They're very proud programs, have great histories, but you know, they've had some intermittent points of success, but really haven't dominated the conference or been in conference contention consistently the way that you would like. I would think that that would happen simply just due to the the brand value. Um, I don't know if you'd include a Penn State with that or not. I mean, frankly, gentlemen, when you look at this, if the schools really wanted to do it, there's probably a number between 18 and 30 schools that you could make an NFL light model and have a six. Seven billion dollar a year TV revenue package, like that's really it. And so you would, if you want to skim all the the cream off of every conference, you're pulling in USC and Oregon and you know the Bamas, the Georgias, Texas, Oklahoma. Like you, you pick it, the Penn States, the Clemsons, the Florida States when they're real. Like that's where all the value is really comprised. But if I think of Ohio State, I don't think they would ever leave because the Big Ten is the way that they operate. It's it's very archaic, and they're all in lockstep with each other. And they want to you know, pound their chest and, and act like academics are you know, a big thing when all of this is really being dr- driven by football. And that's the one thing that bothered me about that alliance um, pressers. You know, they released this press statement and talked about the student athletes and all these other sports and everything else. And I understand they want to try to maintain some level of the collegiate model. But the reality is this is going somewhere because of one thing, because of football television revenues. That's it. And so to address anything else in that, you know, I think it's insincere. That those things don't matter. They didn't matter before. All that they're, all that we're worried about now is trying to maintain the status quo. So don't don't like tell me about all these other things that we're trying to do because in the grand scheme of things, gentlemen, like nobody really cares about them at the level that they care about football because it's the monetary driver that feeds all of these athletic departments. 
Chad, what he's saying is exactly what you said last week with the press release and, and earlier this week with the, the, the alliance formed, the nonsense about the, the academics and every other sport that's affected by this scheduling. I know we, we, were, we were pairing up the ACC and the Big Ten for college basketball purposes, which they've done for years. None of that matters. It's, this is about college well, football. Well, and it's, it's not just that. But, and, Bobby, I wanted to ask you about this, um, and I completely agree with you. I think it's nonsense about academics and Olympic sports, which made me laugh when the SEC yeah. had more Olympic medals than any other conference that was out there. And they talk about their commitment to the Olympic sports in these conferences. But the Pac-12 in this, you've mentioned the ACC and their lucrative television deal and how long it is a couple times. The teams that you would look at if you're the Big Ten – the Pac-12 is a distant third to me in terms of this alliance and the value they bring to the table. And you heard those things about possible expansion and, well, the Pac-12 won't add a Christian school because they won't allow that in their conference. And I'm thinking to myself, what power does the Pac-12 really have to say, well, we're not going to allow TCU or Baylor in because they have a religious affiliation or BYU in because they have a religious affiliation? What is the Pac-12 bringing to the table with this alliance, and are they possibly the next Big 12 that could get raided? If you peel off USC and Oregon, I'm not sure really what the brand power is left in the Pac-12. And You know, you got Washington up there, and they do a pretty decent job of filling their stadium for big games. Oregon definitely does. Utah does, for sure. That's the state that loves football. It's not the biggest state in the world, but they do love their college football there. The problem is, it's apathy on the West Coast. And, you know, I was talking to Brock Heward the other day. We we're doing a show on XM. And I'm like, why Why do people not go to games in the Pac-12? Like, do they not care? And he's like, look at Stanford. They've always been that way. Cal, UCLA, like USC. This is so far removed from Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell and, you know, Pete Carroll roaming the sideline with Reggie Bush. Like, guys, they don't, they don't, they don't remember any of that. And so th- think about this, gentlemen. Oklahoma, Ohio State. Uh, Texas, I believe, Alabama, and Georgia, and Clemson, I think. Maybe one of those. Maybe not Texas, but the other five all have quarterbacks that will be starting this year that are based out of their state in the Pac-12 footprint. Like You can't keep those guys at home. And so I've asked guys at Ohio State why, and they're like, because we want to play in front of people, in front of games that matter, that people care about. And so there's just an apathy out there for football. And so the one thing they do have going for them is George Klyavkov, their new uh, commissioner. He's a businessman. You know, he's running MGM, their sports and entertainment division. Like, he's the one guy, when you hear him speak up there, he's not an academic. He's not a guy that's worked in administration his whole life. Like, he is a businessman. He's answering questions directly. Hey, is there a formal agreement? No. If you would have heard either one of the other Kevin Warren or Jim Phillips talk, you may have heard them talk for two or three minutes and not really been sure if there was or not. Where you heard uh, George just stepped up there. No, this is what it is. So I think he might be the only guy that can save this conference, that can get them back. And he said it earlier, like we're getting back to what butters our bread, you know, football and men's basketball and trying to promote those things. Because if not, like you said, gentlemen, there's not a whole lot left out there. I mean, you're playing Oregon and Ohio State at noon, East Coast time. As a nine o'clock kick on the West Coast. Think about that. Who is waking up to watch that? And that's Oregon, and that is the preeminent brand right now in the Pac-12. So they, they have a serious apathy problem. And so what do they bring? They bring a population base, but there's no passion behind it. And so I think that's the biggest issue is trying to marry SEC, not as populated, massive passion. 
Big Ten, a little bit of a hybrid. No one doesn't. No one really cares out on the West Coast right now, and they've got to find a way to change that. But I really don't know if they can, because it almost seems like it's more of a culture thing. Let's talk a little Big Ten with you, Bobby. How much joy do the people of Columbus, Ohio, get in the failings of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan and the fact that he is on the hot seat going into this year? Um, Some people get a lot of joy out of it. To me, I think college football is better when the biggest brands are the best, and so that includes Michigan. Being an Ohio State guy, I'd much rather take on a Michigan team that's 11-0 every year and beat them that way than taking on a team that's just stumbling into the game at 6-5. and five. Like that, that doesn't make you feel good because that, that diminishes the rivalry because you're not playing for as much. These were the two preeminent brands for the last 70 years in the conference, and there was, there was no debating that. Now you start looking around, it's like, all right, Penn State has surpassed you. Heck, this year, Indiana, who's a better team? Indiana is. And, and I think you could say Michigan is more talented, but Indiana is a better team. And so I don't take joy in that. I was hoping Jim Harbaugh would get them to the point where they were really good and then would still ultimately lose to Ohio State, being a Buckeye. Like, that's where I looked at it. But a better Michigan is better for the conference. Like, you need them to be good because, frankly, Indiana's, I think, this year, if they had Penn State's uniforms or Michigan's uniforms, they're probably ranked 10th or 11th and not 17th because brands matter. Like, those things are very important, and it's just the tradition. And when you see something, it's tough to disassociate a school like Alabama with winning or Georgia with winning. You know, and you see something like a Vanderbilt, like maybe more of a Northwestern, you're like, eh, no matter how many good players they have there, even if Jay Cutler's a quarterback, like you still don't associate that with the brand power of a team that could win a national championship. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's not been an abject failure with Harbaugh at Michigan. He has had some success, but it has been an abject failure against Ohio State where he's yet to break through and, and win a game. You know, we've seen some of this, Bobby, where what seemed like a complete slam dunk just did not work out. Tom Herman to Texas, as an example, where it all seems to line up and for whatever reason doesn't work out the way you thought. Are you surprised that Jim Harbaugh has not completely broken through at Michigan, given his prior track record before taking that job at his alma mater? I'm shocked. I had that all wrong. I thought he would be the guy that would be able to return the rivalry to its former glory. He he played in it. He's predicting victories, you know, back in the mid 80s, I believe 84, calling his shot. And so you thought this is the guy who's confident. He coached in the NFL. He coached at Stanford, a place that's tough to recruit where no one cares about football. And he seemed to win. And here's the thing. Everybody associated him with being this quarterback whisperer, this quarterback guru, a guy that could develop talent. Well, did he really develop Andrew Luck or was Andrew Luck just really going to be that good whether you or I coached him? Like, that's the question you have to begin to ask yourself. You know, Colin Kaepernick, he caught lightning in the bottle a little bit and was able to take them to the Super Bowl, build an offense around what he did well. But did he really develop him and make him better? He had Alex Smith there and it was as maligned as people want to be about Alex Smith and just beat on him. Dude's been a really good quarterback in the NFL for a long time. And so you start looking at this, is it a chicken or the egg thing? Like, did he get there and those guys were already good? Or was it a situation where he developed them? And I'm, I'm starting to believe now with his inability to develop a quarterback at Michigan and how they've just cycled through guys, that the fact is he really just kind of fell into some great opportunities. Everybody has the friend who, you know what, isn't the brightest dude in the world. You know, they seem to always kind of get a little bit lucky in their job interviews or always hit a big sale or whatever it might be. And you're sitting there thinking like, man, this dude must have a rabbit's foot up his rear because I have no idea how he's able to get all this done. And eventually the rock usually runs out. And I feel like that may have happened with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan in what was once like just 
quirky and weird where, you know, you're going over to dudes' houses and staying the night with recruits and climbing trees and not wearing shirts and drinking massive glasses of milk. Like that was all fun and games. And now all of a sudden you look at it and not, now you're just a weird dude. You're like the weird uncle because you're not having that success. <laughs> and now one of those former quarterbacks uh, is now at Tennessee and Joe Milton uh, of, all, of all places to land. Uh, speaking of QBs, Bobby, tell us what, what are we about to learn about freshman C.J. Stroud at Ohio State that maybe we wouldn't know here that you know there? Like all these guys that come in now, it's crazy. It used to be there was a steep learning curve when they entered college football. These guys are so well coached. They're so well prepared now that, you know, when you come in, you, know, you learn the offense, you sit for a little bit. And by your sophomore year, second year in the program, like you're ready to go. And a lot of them are pretty ready to go out of high school. And so, you know, CJ, he's a decent athlete. You know, he's not Justin Fields, but he can move a little bit. He's a better athlete than Dwayne Haskins. He's got a really good arm. He makes good decisions, um, but he has elite talent around him. And so it's going to be a situation where, dude, you don't have to win the games. Just don't lose them. You can improve throughout the year. And I think part of the selection set for Ryan Day was the fact that, hey, we've got a great team around us. We have two uh, conference game in Minnesota on Thursday night. Could get a little squirrely. And then our biggest game, you know, probably of the year potentially is Oregon at home. We can't worry about who's going to be the best in November. we got to make sure we win these games. And so I think C.J. Stroud has by far the highest floor right now for those guys. And we're going to get other guys, I, I believe, some playing time. We'll kind of see how this thing develops because you've seen, whether it's you know at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, with Tua at Alabama, if you have guys that can play, you've got to get them on the field. If not, and you're playing someone else, you end up with uh, you know Justin Fields and Jake Fromm situation at Florida. And, People want to sit here and beat on that all day. I'm like, hey, man, Justin Fields was, the, you know, the 11th pick in the draft. Could have been easily top 10. And Jake Fromm's going in the middle round. So that's telling me, A, you know, he got far more developed at Ohio State. Or B, the quarterback situation at, at Georgia, you didn't know how to evaluate guys. Because he would have been the clear and concise person to go with in the long term, which is ultimately what you have to do to keep some of this talent there. Bobby, you saw firsthand Urban Meyer and his style there in Columbus at Ohio State. Do you think he'll ultimately be a success in the NFL with Jacksonville? Ooh, that's tough to predict. I, I think he's got as good a shot as anyone. Number one, you got to have the quarterback. And if you have the quarterback, you have a chance to win. Now, he got beat up the other night in his preseason game. They've got to find a way to protect him. Part of that will be getting some of their offensive line back. Losing Travis Etienne is not going to help. You know, I, I do know this. They've got a great mix of staff on there. Uh, with coaches, you know, some college guys, some NFL guys, Shad Khan, their owner has spent a ton on it and players value that. When you're spending money on us and you're telling us that we need to be elite, but you're not putting money in the facility, you're not taking care of us the way we need to, guys feel that. And so they've done that now. So there's some buy-in. You're going to have to win some games. The good news is they have Houston in their division. So, you know, hopefully they should find a way to be able to get a couple wins right there. And can they scratch their way to five wins this year? I think if they're able to win more than four games, I think there'll be immense buy-in moving forward because they're only going to continue to get better. Bobby Carpenter, new college football contributor for OutKick and OutKick.com. Hopefully, Bobby, this is the first of several visits here on OutKick 360. We're glad you're you're on board with the network. Uh, We added uh, Armando Salguero. Uh, He joined us last week. You this week. I'm excited for where all this is headed. Hey, man, you guys have my number, so if I'm not coming back on, I mean, listen, (laughs) 
there's no excuses now, so I'm always available. So thanks, gentlemen. I can guarantee that you'll be coming back on. Uh, that can, I'll guarantee it right now. You'll be back how on often, as long as you'll do it. How often are you riding at the site? Uh, going to do a couple pieces a week. Uh, we're putting that together right now, but it, it's going to be at least two and probably some digital stuff as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well done, man. We, we appreciate the visit. We'll chat soon. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Bobby Carpenter Thanks, Bobby. has been our guest. Awesome. I was going to ask him, uh, better hair, Bobby Carpenter as a player with the long flowing blonde locks or Quinn Ewers, the oh. freshman quarterback <laughs> at Ohio State who has the yeah. just amazing Again, I don't know if these things you can even call them mullets. It's just like long <laughs> hair that's sort of short on the side. Uh, tough to know. I don't. I I would call it a mullet. I think it's a Missouri compromise, <laughs> to be exact. I think it's, Mississippi mud flap. Yeah, the Kentucky, Kentucky waterfall. Kentucky waterfall. <laughs> uh, those are all the names I know for them. Please, Tennessee top hat. Chime in on the YouTube chat or on Twitter if you know other names for <laughs> a, a mullet that we can throw out. Um, a scary situation, a crazy situation for Lance Lee uh, this morning, early this morning. Uh, he's not mic'd up, but I'll tell, I'll, I'll relay what happened, and it'll really freak out Chad Withrow when we come back. Uh, we, we've got that and more. First, though, FanDuel.com with a brand new promotion for you for this week and for this Saturday, um, or I should say Sunday, August the 29th. Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley in a boxing match uh, coming up on Sunday on pay-per-view. This is for new users only. 30 to 1 odds on either Paul or Woodley to win. This is a straight money line bet for new users. Deposit required is just a $10 minimum deposit. And then you bet $5. $5 to win $150. That's the max bonus you can win. That's coming up this Sunday. Paul or Woodley, you see the odds there. They're scratched out because you can get the odds on a money line 30 to 1, plus 3,000. This offer is valid in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and West Virginia. FanDuel.com slash OK360. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You see the hundreds. Time to make it rain. The Daily Parlay from Outkick 360. Today with production assistant Dylan Taylor, who is making it happen for us uh, behind the cameras today. Uh, along with Lance Lee is Jacob Swanson, has a well-deserved day off. And Dylan has hit on a parlay with us in the past. It is time to well, win again. Let me also step in and say this. Dylan not only hit with us on his parlay, this was after a three or four parlay win streak, which yep. is remarkable. We're starting a new one today. Yes. Yeah, so then we, we piggybacked off of that and continue the success where he won with us. And Hutton, you've got what we're going to win with tonight. Uh, Boston Red Sox money line. He is taking the San Diego Padres money line. Paul hates the Red Sox money line pick. Uh, Padres have Darvish uh, taking on Scherzer uh, for the Dodgers. Um, so it's Padres money line, Red Sox money line, and then over seven and a half runs for the Nationals and the Marlins. Um, that's going to be a high-scoring affair. He thinks that pitchers have just given up on those two teams, much like the teams have uh, yes. for the rest of the season. So yes. lots of runs. Runs galore. Did you see the runs last night for the O's? I did not. Orioles and Angels. Yeah. 16 combined runs. We went over nine and a half in the parlay. That was one of the two that hit. We lost the other one, I believe. Yeah, we went two and one last night in the parlay. Did the Orioles win? They won. Yeah, they won 10 to six. So they, so they broke the losing They streak. broke the 19-game losing 19 streak. 19 games. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. That's tough to accomplish. And they had Otani on the mound of all, of all pitchers for uh for the angels 
Uh, coming up, we will get into uh, what's gone on today at the Titans facility with Tennessee Power Hour. Paul Kaharski will join us as practice wraps up. Uh, Ryan Tannehill among the players placed on the COVID-19 reserve list, uh, along with Harold Landry and a couple of others, Jeff Swain, uh, Mark Lillard is on there as well. Adam Schefter saying at least three players have tested positive and are dealing with COVID-19 as a positive test. And there are two coaches. I'm assuming that one of those two coaches is Vrabel, but he did not clarify that in the tweet. We'll get Paul's take on that and much more straight ahead. Scary moment for Lance Lee last night, who's not mic'd up because we're all uh, moved around a bit here in the studio. Um, but he said, he, he, he came in this morning, Chad, and said that he woke up with a centipede trying to burrow its way into his ear. And he, he woke up and felt something around his ear, grabbed the centipede. He didn't know at the time what it was. He thought it could be a spider and threw it down, right? Like, just like, get off me. And realized as he threw it, he's like, he woke up thinking, what was that? Like, I, the dogs are down there. I've got to figure out what that was. It was just a weird feeling. So he turned the flashlight on and started looking for it. Couldn't find it. And uh, Lance, who has longer hair, he felt around and felt the centipede on his hair in the bed, pulled it off, oh. right? Uh, used a... Uh, Kleenex or toilet paper or something to try to latch onto it and try to kill it. Could not do it. It was that large. He could, <laughs> he could not kill the centipede. So he flushed it down the toilet. And as he's flushed it <laughs> down the toilet, the thing, <laughs> it nearly climbed out of the water and got back on him. Can you, like, can you imagine waking up or not waking up, sleeping in a dead, just being asleep to the world and not feeling that thing go into your ear, which is apparently a thing. I'm not terrified of this. I had no idea this was, this was something that people dealt with. I'm trying to hold back a sneeze right now. I'm going to try to fight through. As the, as the centipede burrows into Maybe your ear. Maybe it's the talk of the centipede that makes me want to sneeze right now. Um, Tony Yeo on the YouTube chat said, who is Lance Lee? Lance Lee is our producer, uh, one of the fine people who Lance. puts this show on every day. So how dare you ask that question yeah. of who is Lance Lee, Tony? Uh, Kay Oldham says he is part of the staff. Yes, he is, he is a member of, of the show. And helps put us on. I've got some questions about this. Lance can't speak to these things, but <laughs> he's mute. Lance that. has a very uh, garden-like existence with his home. I've seen pictures around his home on Instagram, uh -huh. on, on Facebook. Um, you know, it's almost like he lives in a nature preserve when you look outside of his house. Which makes me think: Has the outside come inside that you have centipedes rolling it's, around in it's your Jumanji house? Is there a, a is there some sort of oh, here we go. pest issue that needs to be taken care of, or are you now residing in a yurt in your garden that centipedes, what millipedes, happened, whatever, are crawling into your ear? I'm back on the mic. Yeah, there are a lot of bugs. I admittedly do have a bit of a brown recluse issue at, oh, at the house. Oh my God. <laughs> that hasn't been too bad of an issue. I'm not scared of those, but when they are, you know, around my head and trying to get in my ear, that's when I start to have an issue. Remind me to never visit Lance Lee's house. I've never gotten the invitation yet to join us, but I, th th once I heard Brown Recluse, no thanks. Uh, you <laughs> Remind can me have to show that. you the well, picture of my trap. It we're waving to some people outside. You, you said, Lance, that you thought this was a spider on you. That's why you woke up to try to find it, because you didn't want you know, the, the, the spider to bite the, the dogs. Yes, because last time I woke up to a bug <laughs> on me in the middle of the night, I believe it was a spider. I actually grabbed it a little bit uh, too enthusiastically and <laughs> you know, smashed it in my hand, so it was just goop by the time I got to look at it, got the light on. But, uh, yeah, 
And he said the centipede was about the size of his pinky, like width-wise. I wasn't expecting to go here, but go because this story came about, last night I watched, um, it's one of the, it's, I think the second to latest real sports on HBO uh, with Bryant Gumbel. And they had a piece on these huge hunts that happened to get rid of pests in different parts of the country. Like rodents? So, or? Yeah, rodents. But like, for instance, in, in Florida, in the Everglades, there is a Burmese python problem. Why is there a Burmese python problem? Because in the 80s, when everyone was coked out of their mind in Miami and South Beach, they had to have the most extravagant exotic pets. Yeah, Tony Montana had one. So Burmese pythons were everywhere. And then when they couldn't afford them or couldn't keep them anymore, they just brought them to the Everglades and left them. So they have wow. been reproducing. And there are these enormous Burmese pythons. So they have this annual, they call it the, the, the python bowl. And they go in and all these hunters from all over the country come in and kill these Burmese pythons and they have a $30,000 reward for the biggest python that you bag. Okay? So they have that in, in Florida. In Oklahoma, they have, um, or in Texas, North Texas, they have hog hunts. So they have a huge competition where you kill wild hogs. Uh, in Oklahoma, they have coyote hunts. And they even had a hard time getting cameras in to this show barn where they have you know, rodeos and they have you know, cattle cells where they have all these dead coyotes laid out and they're showing how many they killed in one hunt because they're afraid of PETA getting concerned and they don't like TV cameras around yeah. to stop it. But, I mean, Real Sports wasn't really even making a big criticism of it. They were just showing that these are problems. They're fascinated by the... They're, these are problems for farmers and people in, the, in these you know, parts of the country and they go out and kill them. In upstate New York, they have squirrel hunts because squirrels apparently are a huge problem. <laughs> but anyways, I'm, I'm thinking about this with the, the centipede part of it. Um, but this is what really made me, made me think. They go to this ecologist in Montana, okay? And he says, this isn't helping eradicate the problem because you have these hunters who are trying to kill the biggest wild boar or trying to kill the biggest coyote. And he said, the real answer is to kill the babies. He said, you have to kill the pups. Because when you, for instance, if you kill a big coyote, the pups get access to food quicker and grow quicker and multiply more. He said, well, it's not the most manly thing to go kill a bunch of puppies, a coyote puppy. Oh, this or is right up Chad's the, alley, Or to by kill the, way. the smallest wild boar. But he's like, if you really wanted to eradicate a species and help an overpopulation problem, you go for the smallest in the herd and you kill the young ones. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what a dilemma, right? Like you're this big, badass hunter that goes out all over the country and you compete to bag the biggest wild boar or you're you know, strangling a Burmese python with your bare hands. And then the actual answer is, no, you got to kill the babies. You got to go kill the smallest one in the herd. I don't know why the centipede story made me think of that, but it really got me thinking last you know, night. I'm like, man, that's, that's interesting that that is the solution, but no one really wants to do that. And Chad Withrow watched this show and thought, I wish domesticated dogs were on this list. Yeah. Well, they, you, it's funny you bring that up because they even said that they didn't want cameras around the coyote hunt and all the carcasses of the coyotes thrown into this show barn because people, it's, the, it's a close cousin to the dog. Yeah. And that people yeah. get freaked out because it looks like you killed dogs when you do it. And that people have that association with man's best friend and they get more upset about seeing dead coyotes. Oh, growing up on a farm, look, I, uh, the coyotes, they, they affect your, your cattle. Yeah. You know? Oh, they right. have those, uh, the GoPros showing. Yes. Uh, on this piece showing coyotes kill chickens and turkeys and all or this livestock. Or newborn calves and all, you know, all kinds of stuff. So 
I once saw my father-in-law uh, early in the morning. He said, you want to you see me kill a coyote? I said, sure. <laughs> Walked outside, and he took a, a, a rifle. It was not a shotgun. And, I mean, shot this coyote running full speed across his farm and just blew this thing up. Like, it was coyote was there, and then it wasn't. Welcome to it Nebraska. Just, it just evaporated. Like, it was so quick. It wasn't like he struggled, you know, kept, like, you shoot a deer sometimes, yeah. and the deer keeps running a little bit before it dies. This thing was a, a live coyote, and then it was nothing. I mean, you, didn't see, you saw a little bit of fur and then nothing else, and it was just gone. You're, Pretty amazing. You're making David Reed's day over here. This is... This is the type of talk David Reed yeah. comes into work this for every day. Yeah. This and softball. How upset would Paul be right now if he was hearing this discussion? I think he would take it where I took it, where you, you Chad wishes that he could do this for... Uh, dogs. Yeah, for dogs. I, I do not want to kill dogs. I, I've never thought... I, this is, I, you say these things, and this is where like the FBI starts to profile me if I come on and say, yeah, I've really thought about killing dogs a lot every time in my neighborhood. This goes never back. once thought about harming a dog. The, the, that's not true. This goes back to a, a, a story. Killing a dog. Okay. Never once thought oh, okay. about killing a okay. dog. Okay. It goes back to a story uh, from uh, back in the show day of uh, history of Outkick 360. Chad had a Mastiff. I believe it, you didn't own it, but it was next door. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the, an enormous animal. It was, it was half dog, half horse that and, lived next door to it. Yes, him. and it, it was scaring everyone extremely aggressive. Uh, not that all massives are. Just but this one was. Just this loud. One was. I don't know if it was much. I don't think it was actually going to harm anyone as much as it just barked and, and went this was crazy a, when you walked on the back deck. This was a primary complaint of his from years past, and and since then the dog left, and we don't know what happened to the dog. And so since, we have since blamed Chad for the eradication of the neighborhood mastiff. Who's the guy that's on on trial right now? The celebrity from the Jinx that we were talking about last, Robert Durst. Robert Durst. I always think of Fred Durst of Limp yeah. Biscuit. We also had a Woodstock 99 conversation recently. Uh, they're going to do a Robert Durst-like documentary 20 years from now about me and that Mastiff <laughs> and whether or not I actually killed it because of this discussion. Coming up, PK joins us from St. Thomas Sports Park, the Titans practice facility where COVID has affected the starting quarterback and Ryan Tannehill, head coach Mike Vrabel and others. Details there. Plus, who didn't make it through today's work? That's straight ahead on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.